Children can be dismissed to to junior church. I'm not sure that she has clipboards. The clipboards are up here, but they look blank today. Did you put any blank paper on them? Okay. You. The. Uh, you're going to have to listen to the preacher today, and not do your. Uh, we've been. Thankful for that ministry, and it's we basically started as a result of some of the COVID and limiting some of the other children's ministries that we uh, I share with Cheryl what's coming, and she's created a children's uh, sermon notes and places to fill in and emphasize the main points, and uh, that's been a, a good ministry. There's some of those different areas that. Um, If you have an interest and ability in some of those areas to be able to step up and help out in some of those different areas of children's ministry and and things uh, as we move forward. Are you a hopeful person? Are you one of those Eeyore ones from, you know, uh, we all have different ways of responding to circumstances. I think especially in America, we don't realize that much of the world, not only in the past, but in the present, lives without hope. They are resigned to fate or to chance. Um, You know, if you study much about the Roman Empire before Christianity enters the picture, it's a black, dark, despairing world uh, with brutality and, and not much hope that characterized that even if you read the philosophers of the day trying to reason and but how do you define hope if you looked it up in the dictionary it's going to say the belief that one's desires may be attained a desire with the expectation of attainment someone or something in which confidence is placed that we trust some replace the phrase expectation of attainment with uh, a desire whose fulfillment is cherished. Um, now, obviously, we're pretty limited in our knowledge of the future. And we're aware that a lot of different things could happen. And you start looking at all the possibilities and trying to figure out what eventualities are going. Uh, but we are hopeful people, and we naturally seek fulfillment and meaning in life. And so hope is a great activating and guiding principle in our life. Um, But what's hope based on? You know, on the human level, it's based on desires. It's based on facts or information. We take rational considerations, figure out all the possibilities. But ultimately, uh, faith is a key element when it comes to hope. So hope can be weak or strong based on your level of confidence. Um, sometimes our hopes are just plain wishful thinking. That's, is that going to, well, I I hope it does, and and we're just wishing everything would turn out well. What hope does depends on what a person seeks to find fulfillment in 
and on what his or her hopes are based. Misplaced hope proves false. And in fact, misplaced hope can even in some cases prove sinful. But one of the things we're going to find in Romans 15 today is for Christians especially, we should be overflowing with hope. So I take you to Romans 15, 13 as that passage kind of sets the context and then we'll work back and forth in those verses. But may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just that little phrase itself, God of hope. Aren't you get glad that's a characteristic when you talk about a God of hope? Now, it's not God is hoping something has happened. It's God who inspires hope and imparts it to his children. God can be counted on. This hope is based on our concept of who God is and our faith in him. So when you start thinking about who is God, God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. He's holy. He's loving. He's just. He's good. When you begin to understand those characteristics of God, when you begin to look at your future and what's going on, then you realize that true hope is grounded in God. Uh, So a Christian's hope is a consequence of divine promise. God keeps his promises and he remains committed to his people. He's fulfilling his promises and accomplishing his purpose in history. One of the clearest reminders of that is in the person of Jesus Christ himself. If you look in this particular passage at verse 8, Romans 15 verse 8, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes, he says, as it is written, he quotes four Old Testament passages that talk about the Gentiles finding hope in God. Christ is the clearest reminder that God keeps his promises. See, God made a promise to Abraham. First, he changed his name. You know, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Why? Because you're going to be father of nations. And Abraham was well up in years when he first got that promise, mid-70s. And he didn't have any children for another 25 years. Gets to be 99. But what do we know? God kept his promise. Abraham had a son. He promised that through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And how's that happen? It happens in the person of Jesus Christ. So God's truthfulness or reliability is confirmed in the coming of Jesus Christ. Notice how he says here that he is confirming the promises he made to the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel. And in fulfilling those promises to them, the the rest of the blessing grew out of it so that the rest of us will glorify God as a result of God. So God's truthfulness or reliability is confirmed in the coming of Jesus Christ. 
And we're reminded, and you come into Matthew, that Christ did not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And Lord says, you know, not one word out of the scripture is going to fade away till it's been accomplished. It's all fulfilled in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. So there's no foundation for authentic hope outside the victory of the cross, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, fulfillment of God's promises to the Jews, as recorded in the gospel, brings blessing to both Jews and Gentiles. And so, as I mentioned, if you look in verses 9 through 12 particularly, he quotes from four Old Testament passages, one Isaiah, one Deuteronomy, and a couple out of the Psalms. One is both in the Psalms and in 2 Samuel. But every one of them is a reminder of the Gentiles rejoicing together with the Jewish nation when their promised Messiah and Deliverer comes. And so it's a reminder of God's plan to bring the Gentiles under that umbrella of blessing through the Messiah and under his rule. And, and so we're reminded there in the end of verse 9, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Aren't you glad God is merciful? You look in Ephesians and other places and it reminds you, as Gentiles, we were outside the covenant. We didn't have that relationship with God the nation of Israel was. But God had a plan to draw us all in and make us part of that. And in the person of Christ, he fulfills that. And he had laid out that picture ahead of time in these Old Testament pictures that are laid out here and quoted. Hope is faith directed towards a glorious future. It's based on the outworking of God's revealed purpose. So ultimately, when you see the word hope as a noun in the scripture, it's a future certainty based on the promises and character of God. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, I hope things work out. No, it's a future certainty based on the promises and character of God. And let me just share a few of those as a brief reminder. One of the things that happens in America, they have poached the, the hope and the promises of God, but removed it from its foundation. Um, so the prospect of life after death, of salvation, of heaven, of lasting peace, of joy, a day when there will be no more death or pain, no more disease, in eternity, in perfect relationship with people, with nature, and with God. What are all those founded on? If they aren't founded on what Jesus Christ did on the cross and your faith in him, you're wishful thinking. You don't have the foundation to have hope for the future. That hope is based in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All those things are based on God's promises and his fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Then you kind of work back to the beginning of this passage and see the foundation of all this. So, Is your source of hope Christ or God? Do you trust God? You know, the first question that I just kind of mentioned, have you ever really placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, realizing he's the only way? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. 
So unless you believe that and start with that foundation, then you really haven't trusted God. Your hope isn't in God, it's in something else. It's either in your own efforts, it's in, in, it's in your government, it's in something that you think is going to solve all this thing. Um, but why should you trust God? Uh, and what will you do if you do trust God? Well, verse 5 gives you a little reminder what you ought to do. If you really trust God, then you're going to follow. It says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to obey his commandments, you're going to imitate his example. Now, in this passage, verses 1 to 7 includes some of those commandments. Notice verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and to please and not to please ourselves. So are you the strong or the weak? You know, when you disagree with people, we always think we're the strong one, right? Because I'm right, so I'm strong and you're wrong and weak. The minute you think you're the strong one when it comes to those matters of faith, what's your responsibility become? I need to look out and be supportive and and limit my freedoms and take action that encourages this person, not try to blow them out of the water with how wrong they are about what they're doing. And so we have that kind of responsibility that comes. Um, Second verse says, each of us should please his neighbor for his good and to build them up. Um, So those are part of the responsibility. You come down to verse 7, it says we ought to accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Did Christ accept you because you were the perfect prize? You had it all together and he wanted you on his side? He took us for what we were, didn't he? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, made us his child. He, he drew us in. He says, you, you need to have that kind of response. Now, I take you somewhat back to that question. Do you trust God and why, you should, why should you trust God? Well, notice verse 4. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scripture is the word of God. He had people record those things. It includes uh, a lot of history and events and other things, but it's what God said we need to know for life and godliness. And among other things, it provides us historical examples that God keeps his promises and remains committed to his people. And we kind of lose sight sometimes in the Old Testament of how spread out those time periods were. That people had to trust God when things didn't look like they were operating and going the right way. And in fact, sometimes they didn't see the completion of it during their lifetime. But from this perspective with the written record, what do we know? God always keeps his promise and always remains commended faithful to his people. So trust him and live in court. That gives you encouragement 
to persevere and to carry on. And, and that's the scripture. God keeps his promises and remains faithful. There's a unity to the scripture all the way through from beginning to end. It's a progressive revelation. God makes more and more known and things change. But with it, there's always this unity that has a vital bearing on what we are doing and choosing how to respond in the present time. Because it's laid out before us, the examples and the reminders. The Old Testament helps us to understand salvation history and how God did exactly what he promised. And it helps us to see our responsibility as the new covenant people of God. What is our responsibility and how should we respond? Uh, It serves the needs of helping us to see life and respond accordingly. Aren't you thankful for the Psalms and and the expressions of David and others in their life? of the struggles and the why is this happening and the burdens and, and all of this. And, and yet in the midst of that, beginning to see how when they put their eyes on God, even though their circumstances didn't change, their whole outlook changed and it guided the way they lived because they had the encouragement and endurance that the scripture provided in, that, in a pattern. And we, we see that example in their lives. So encouragement and endurance both can be learned by both precept and example from from reading through the scriptures and and examining what's going on in other people's lives. And they provide strong incentive for faithfulness. You know, our hope is based in a God who has made himself known and made himself known in a very practical way way in the lives of people in the Old Testament and in the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And and we see all of that playing out to remind us why we have hope. It's because we have a God of hope. We have renewed assurance. As I say to you frequently, the best is yet to come. Do you believe that? For a lot of us, the best of this life it's behind us. <laughs> now, that's not to say there aren't a good, lot of good things to enjoy. I was just talking again to somebody yesterday at Lori's, and you know, they were just saying, you know, they don't even let me go out and get the mail anymore. I can't mow my lawn anymore. I can't, they're going down the list of all the things they couldn't do anymore. Uh, but, just, but she said, I'm thankfully here, and I can do what I can do. But at the same time, the best is yet to come. We have a lot to look forward to. All that's based in the person of God. And, you know, to understand that is a source of comfort and motivation to be faithful. You know, be faithful to the end. Praise God and show your hope in God even when there isn't hardly anything else you can do anymore. And I've shared with you before... A lot of people that I'd go to visit, different ones, you think, oh, I'm going to go encourage them and share with them, you know, and, and you go there and you come away encouraged from them and they're, con- they're laying in a bed. They can't do anything, can't even get out of bed, but their hope is in the Lord. And, and there's other people who you go visit and they suck the life out of you because they have, it's just like, <laughs> what happened? Is your, are you overflowing with hope? Where is your hope? When it's in God. It reflects because it changes your perspective on those circumstances. 
The second demonstration of hope here is the, the picture that, of the example of Christ and following the example of Christ. So it says, in starting with verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. See, Jesus did not come to please himself, but to do the will of the Father. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. His willingness to consider others first and, and do what was necessary to meet their need. So Christ was willing to be persecuted, insulted, and, and that's an Old Testament quote of someone who's, who's living for the Lord, standing for the Lord, and the people's frustration against God gets poured out on them. And that's what was happening with Christ. He bore people's hatred because of really what was hatred of God, and he was going to honor God. Now, in this context, the picture is that the Christian life involves concern for building up other people, both the individuals and the church. It's not about what I want. It's about how can I serve Christ and build up the body of Christ and, and meet uh, needs. And in that process, we're motivated by the desire to glorify God. Um, and so that's going to cause us to bear with one another, to limit our freedoms, to, to reach out and minister to, to people. And, and again, the pattern's there in verse 7. Christ accepted us. We need to follow the example of Christ who welcomed us with all our limitations and all our differences and all our struggles in this process. Uh, and we need to make room to accept others as the body of, of Christ. Um, you know, all the divisions that we see in our world, whether they're political or racial or other things, they pale in comparison to how great the divide was between the Jews and the Gentiles at that particular time in history. I mean, the Jews called the other guys dogs, and, and they had no regard for each other. And, and yet, when they came to Christ, they learned to accept one another. And it's an amazing thing to watch in the body of Christ. People that really wouldn't have much to do with anything with each other except for we belong to Christ and we have that bond and that changes the way we look at everything else that we do. And so we need reminded, and as a part of verse 5, we need recognition of our dependence on God and the need from his enablement. And if we're really going to respond that way, it's because... We've learned his faithfulness, and we want to serve him. And so there's this careful sacrificial action on the part of those that are growing in their faith that allow God's grace to work in their hearts and lives to respond differently than the world around you would respond. So if we have that kind of hope, then the result of overflowing hope impacts the way we worship, the way we fellowship, the way we operate in daily life. So notice the end of verse 5, well, actually getting into more verse 6. So that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a unity in worship that starts with individual transformation. Uh, 
and that he would work to give us a spirit of unity so that together we're glorifying God. The more Christ fills our vision, the more united our church will be. We get focused on our differences and we lose sight of whose church this is and what ought to be going on and and how we ought to be building each other up. And so we need to be, the more Christ fills our vision, the greater will be the cohesiveness of the church. And that kind of unity makes worship a wonderful place. Uh, Here, just the whole community is seek a unity that will enable them to effectively praise God. See, if you've been reconciled to God, as a part of that, you're going to get reconciled with one another, that together you can worship God. And you're going to accept one another. There's a unity in fellowship, a unity of purpose that transcends all the divisions that divide our world. Uh, Again, the whole purpose behind that is for God to be praised because the only thing that could make those kind of people get along is God. God wants his church to be a place that transcends any cultural, racial, or ethnic divisions because there's a unity based on the gospel and the centrality of Christ in our lives. Now with that unity also comes a reminder in verse 13 of joy and peace when you have hope. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. See, the believer's joy exists in full anticipation of a final state of bliss that will enjoy God forever, but it's based on the joy of a relationship with him right now and being able to trust him in whatever circumstances are going on in our life. And the ground of peace is the believer's confidence that faith in Christ is a victory that overcomes the world. So joy and peace are a natural outcome of fellowship with God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I often hear people say, and it's, it's so true, boy, without Christ, how could people face the kinds of things they're going through? Because he's our source of joy and peace. It's not the circumstances. In fact, many times, I just I wish these circumstances would change, and we ask the Lord to change them. But even if he doesn't, we can rest in our relationship with him and have joy and peace that he's at work. And it's sustained by our deep confidence in a final and sovereign purpose of the God of hope. One of the advantages of growing old is you can look back on your life and see how God was at work in circumstances when you had, at the time, had no idea whatever good thing could come out of that in any way. So then when tough things come now, what you kind of do is say, I wonder what God's going to do with this one. Because I can't see anything good. But I know who my God is. And I can rest in him. And I can have joy and peace, even in the uncertainties of what's going in front of us. And then what it does is the term overflowing peace or overflowing hope is a reminder the Lord wants to use you to give hope to other people. 
We have a world that's full of people who are without God and without hope. See, verse 9 reminded us that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Verse 12 says, the Gentiles will hope in him. Uh, Aren't you glad that you have a gospel message that crosses every racial barrier, every, you know, people will say, well, I'm so sinful, God would never save me. Aren't you glad that God's salvation and provision in Christ is adequate to take care of anything that was ever done in this world? The hopelessness isn't because God isn't able, it's because you haven't responded to the message of the God of hope. So we have good news. Gentiles are partakers of God's mercy. Aren't you glad for that? Hey, I got to be, I'm part of God's family. I'm his child. I'm not excluded. Boy, there's a lot of people around you who who just have no hope. And the gospel message makes it very clear. God's provision is adequate. You can respond to this truth and have the hope that Jesus Christ. So we have a message of God's grace to share with a needy world that's without God and without hope. And the result is that we can praise God together. See, when you share the gospel, you're sharing it as a humble person that said, I don't deserve to be in God's presence or be his child. He welcomed me, he'll welcome you. And so we very humbly and with wonder and amazement and gratitude express our worship together. So when I hear that title, The God of Hope, it reminds us of what a vast difference the gospel makes on your outlook on life. What a stability it brings, what an anticipation of what is yet to come. And so all the resources of God's mercy are offered us in Christ. And Christ identified himself with us. He humbled himself to become a human being, to dwell in our midst, to die in our place, and sacrificed himself to meet our need. In doing so, he fulfilled God's promise to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. As he fulfilled those promises, he extended his grace to all the nations of the earth. God is the only true source of hope. The scriptures remind us of his promises and his faithfulness. Our response of faith to Christ provides a foundation for joy and peace and hope in the midst of a broken, fallen, hopeless world. We need to follow the example of Christ and heed the words of Christ to experience that unity of worship that focuses on God and the unity of fellowship in the body of Christ and and the wonderful opportunity that we have to glorify God and praise him and point him out as the answer to a needy world around us. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are for hope. Our hope is in the Lord who gave himself for us. And we have a message of hope to share 
And so, Lord, in our suffering and struggles, we encourage each other through Scripture, through the examples of faithfulness of others. But most of all, we do so by pointing ourselves back to you and giving praise and glory to you in all the circumstances of life. May you use this message of hope to bring hope into hearts that see only despair at the present time. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to number 414. Hymn number 414. When we talk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but a smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Nothing ever can prove the delights of His love Until all on the altar we lay For the favor He shows and the joy He bestows Are for them who will trust and obey Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at His feet, or we'll walk by His side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, may these words remind us of our source of hope. And in our lives as Christians, we sometimes struggle, we get overwhelmed. May we point our eyes back towards you. May we be encouraged to persevere, to overcome. 
through Jesus Christ and his example and the reminder of all that you hold in store for your people. May we become a living example of that hope that overflows through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.